0: So I want to continue with the series on, uh, basically on connection, and uh, calling it Never Alone. So uh, at the men's camp, this was the word I received at the end, the last morning, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, to the guys, guys, never alone, don't do it alone, don't walk alone. I I really felt there was a word for us, a key word for, for, for all of us. And so I want to unpack that a little bit this morning and speak about connection. You see, life is about connection. Life is about connection. It is about meaningful connection. Think about it. I mean, originally God created us to have intimate relationship, intimate connection with us, with with mankind. And what happened? Original sin happened, and then this disconnection came between man, and God. And so then the, 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 the process of redemption kicked in. Everything that happened was about reconnecting, reestablishing connection between God and man, and then also between man and man. And, and so that's what we see in the Scriptures, this, this journey of God wanting to, 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 to reconnect where there was this massive divide, between us and Him. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died. We were far or far away from God, and Jesus came to bring us near. That is good news. Amen. So, if you look on that picture there, you see four old guys. Let's say middle-aged guys for some of us. Middle-aged guys. And uh, I'm just thinking about that picture. I... Was just It just spoke to me of, uh, they looked to me like a gang 30 years later. I, imagine this for a moment. Maybe these four guys have been coming a journey for 40, maybe 50 years of close friendship, walking a journey together. Or maybe they haven't been walking for 50 years, but maybe they came into a lifestyle where every season of their life, they get a gang together. I want to call them the gang of godliness. Say gang of godliness. It rhymes. That's, that's why I'm doing it. Okay. So a gang of godliness. And uh, imagine all of us would have a group of guys or a group of friends that we would walk a journey together. And they would be my gang of godliness. The, the group of people that encourages me, the group of people that strengthens me, the group of people that, that, that inspires me to pursue God to a, to a greater measure. So I want to ask this question this morning. Do you have a gang? And then do you have a gang of godliness? Because some gangs are not that great for us. <laughs> do you have a gang? Do you have a, a group of people that, that, that inspire you to move forward and to pursue God? Or are you walking on your own? Are you walking? Do you have those type of connections? So uh, some years ago, I think it was 2002, I went to Angola. So I went, the whole missions team went to Angola, and I was going to, going before them to prepare the way. So we were going to do a big outreach crusade, evangelistic outreach thing, and so I went before the time. And I went on my own. So now I am in the southern parts of Angola. It's a Portuguese-speaking country, and the infrastructure is a mess. And uh, the team should have come within a week, but then they didn't come after about a week. Then day eight, day nine, day ten, and we couldn't communicate. We we didn't know where they were. They were driving up from, from Cape Town. So now I am on my own in Angola, and it's just weird. Uh, it's like in the in nights the, there are no street lamps, infrastructure is shot. So every night I had to walk from the place I was staying to a restaurant where someone was sponsoring us, me for food. And so I was walking every night about a kilometer in the pitch dark, with uh, my little flashlight. And even my translator that was with me sometimes he was he was he was useless. It was terrible. You know it was. You know, you're in the service, and I'm preaching at a church, and I'm making a joke. Translator says it. Everybody's like, I'm like, dude, what are you saying? (laughs) It's terrible. So I I was so alone. It was, you know, every night alone. Can't communicate with the team. I don't know where they are. I'm trying to organize this, this evangelistic outreach. It's really challenging. And now my translator really doesn't even know the Lord. And so at some stage, I'm sharing Jesus with him. And it was like a tall guy. Most people are tall compared to me. So he was a tall guy. And so I'm praying for him at some stage. And he commits his life to the Lord and he gets filled with the Spirit. Now he's crying. So now he's standing on a building site somewhere. And this tall guy is, I'm holding this tall guy. And his head is in my shoulder and he's weeping and weeping. I'm like, it's all okay. It's all okay. I'm on my own in Angola. It was really challenging. So after about 11 days, instead of seven, the team arrives. I come back from the service. I walk into the place, and there's the team. And I cried of for, for happiness because it was really challenging. Spiritually as well, you know, just a lot of, lot of pressure. And so on the, I think on the last day, we uh, were praying on different places. And, and there was this garden area, but it was like enclosed. It was like a municipal garden, but it was enclosed with gates and there were security guards there, and no one could get in there. And so we were praying somewhere on top of the hill thing there, and then we came down. as we came down, another guy shouted, "You guys can go in now," because the security guards were away. And so Pastor Sias, one of our leaders, he, he ran in between the gates, into the garden, into the air, back of the cliff, and when he came to the back there, there was these big steel doors with these big handles on, like a movie. And then he opened it up. And the next moment, just like hundreds of bats came out. And he was like, ah! <laughs> and then there were these stairs going down into the, into the earth. And uh, the Lord led him to pray a whole bunch of things. And anyway, it was a weird moment. But that was like the last day. And then we spoke to some of the pastors, the team, are oh, they going to drive back? I'm staying another day, another night. And I was not going to sleep in a tent a few hundred meters below this dungeon area. And the pastors told us, some of the pastors said that some of the other pastors have been abducted and they were tortured in that torture place. And I'm like, Jesus, I'm not sleeping in this tent 200 meters below this place tonight. Nuh-uh. No way. The scary thing is afterwards, I, they, they gave me a house to stay. I stayed with one of the pastors there in their house. And so I was very thankful when the, Plane came, I ran for the plane and jumped on, and because you're not even sure of your seat. So you're all running for a seat. You don't yeah. You know, it was it was crazy. I'm like, geez, I want to go home. This is terrible. But then I realized I was living about just below that area. I was living I was every night for like 10-11 nights, I was walking past that area in the dark with my little torch. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes it's good to not know. It was really weird. But I realized there, alone is no fun. That was like the moment in my life that I decided, I will never, ever do something like like that on my own again. I will take someone along. I I thank the Lord that he's, He's with us. So yes, He is with us. So I wasn't alone. God was with me every step of the way. But I realized it just makes a difference to have someone with you. So in, in, in uh, April, we went to Zambia, and Stephen Montgomery went with me to this conference in Zambia. Did we have a good time? It wasn't work. It was, I mean, we were worshiping, praying day and night, and doing this conference with a whole bunch of pastors and leaders across Zambia and ministry. but we had so much fun, so much fun, chasing cockroaches on the beds and and, and we had such a good time. It was like a holiday because there was someone there with me. We had a heart-to-heart connection. We trust one another. And when we pray together, things happen. Do you know what often happens when you do a conference? You go pray, preach somewhere. You go to bed the night. You can't switch off, and the devil messes with you all night. And then you're really, really tired the next morning. That sometimes happens. So how awesome it is for me and him. Now we're lying in bed. Next, he's that bed, me this bed, and now we, uh, <laughs> in case you were wondering, <laughs> and I have, I have my little mosquito net over me, very romantic, very romantic, I was missing my wife, and, uh, and, and just before we went to bed, we would pray together for 10, 15 minutes, but really aggressively take authority over our environment, spiritually, and at some point, I would just, uh, yeah, amen, and be out, glorious. It's glorious. But again, the power of two, the power of being together, the power of agreement, the power of having someone that you trust, so you're having a great time, and the kingdom of God is coming at the same time. It is wonderful. Man was not made to be alone. So many of us are alone. We are, because loneliness is not based on the number of connections with people loneliness isn't about being physically alone loneliness is about the quality of connection is there a heart to heart connection are we connecting and that i believe that is when life goes next level it's time to break out it says never never alone do you have a gang of godliness who are there for you when you are not feeling up up when you're feeling down when you're not feeling so strong do you have a gang? I want to I I encourage you today to break out of where you might be currently to a place where you have a, a group of people, whether your, your spouse and some other people that you can walk a journey together with. Okay, so let's say you're never alone. Never alone. Never alone. I have purpose in my heart. There are so many um, even leaders that believe that, yeah, it's just I, I read an article again recently. It said it's the this is the plight of leadership. It's lonely at the top. Can I say that's rubbish? You only lonely because you choose to be lonely, because you're not pe- you're not bringing other people with you. It's a choice. It's a choice. So even there's there's this theology or this philosophy often amongst church groups which says don't tell people your stuff. Don't be, you know. They're not going to follow you. Leaders shouldn't be vulnerable. Leaders shouldn't share what actually what's actually happening on the inside. Leaders should hold back, because the people want this. It's it's hogwash, absolute rubbish. Can I have an amen? (laughs) Leaders should show the way. So if you're the boss, you know people don't. People see. They see. Do you know that? Your, your, your employees and the people around you, they see when you sweat. Do you know that? So you're trying to hide. I'm not sweating, you know. I'm not sweating. They can see it. Oh, the boss is sweating. I can see. I'm not talking about physical sweating. I'm talking about under pressure. Things are happening. He's battling. He's, they can see it. So you should rather go like this. Hey, hey guys, I'm sweating. Because <laughs> everybody's seeing it already. So why not open the door for people to stand with you and to support you and, and, and strengthen you? The ball is in your court. The ball is in your court. So I want to read this verse about the power of two. We see this theme all through Scripture about the power of two. God says it's not good for a man to be alone. Then he made them male and female. Then he ha- they were at family, not good to be alone. Family he even made animals. It's not good to be alone. Then we have There's this this journey, you know, where Moses and uh, Aaron, they they were two guys there. Then Moses and Joshua. Then Moses and the guys holding up his arms with the army, the brothers in arms standing together in war. Then we have David and uh, um, Saul's son, Jonathan. And they were blood brothers, covenant brothers. They were like, I'm there for you. I'll give my life for you. Then we have David and his mighty men. And they changed the world together. And then we go on later, we find Jesus coming and he chooses a gang of 12. Unfortunately, one was a devil, but that's okay. And then Jesus had three of them that were his closest confidants, the the guys he really, really trusted and walked a journey with. Jesus wasn't alone. In Gethsemane, they failed him, yes, but then God sent angels. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So even when people fail us, then God will, will help. But there's this journey, there's this this theme of always two by two. Look at this verse. Luke 10 verse 1. It says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two. Let's say it, two by two. Before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Isn't that beautiful? So the Lord sent them out two by two. Every place where he himself would be going. Because there's power in two. There's power in agreement. And even with me and Sonica, there are times when I am not so lacquer. I'm not in good space. And then she prays for me. There are times when she is not in good space, then I pray for her. Sometimes we're both not feeling lacquer. And you know, last night we... uh, put up some worship music, and then we worship together, and then we just chase some darkness out of the house. Just, just go away. We take back our peace. We take back our joy. Be gone. Do you do that? Husband and wife, do you do that? Or you, you just allow life to happen, and then you vent on one another instead of standing together against the enemy? Sometimes when you're not feeling so lackered, it's because there's probably often a spiritual reason as well, something influencing us. And we need to pray together, take authority, say, hey, out, peace in this house. Two, the power of two, the power of agreement, the power of standing together. So Jesus sent them out two by two. Acts 13, verse 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I've called them. Again, the Holy Spirit comes and he says, uh, Man, I want to use, I'm going to use Paul so powerfully to change the world. He's going to write two-thirds of the New Testament. Um, oh my goodness. Now he's looking at Paul and he's realizing this guy has some major weaknesses. This guy has some issues. Who's, who can cover those weaknesses? Who can cover those issues? Nah, 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 nah. Barnabas. They're good friends. They trust one another. The Holy Spirit says separate unto me now Paul and Barnabas. And they go forth and they mightily impact the world. Again, do you see it? Two. Not just one. Two. You see, you've all heard of the um, Achilles heel. Achilles was a uh, in Greek mythology he was a guy who was his whole body was basically impenetrable except for his heel. He was dipped in the river Styx by his mother or something and he was except for this little heel part. So that was his weakness area. He had a fatal flaw in his heel. So he, he fought these incredible battles. He could beat anybody at any time except for the heel. Do you know every one of us have a fatal flaw? Do you know what you call it? Human. It's called human. It's called human. That's who you and I are. We've got weaknesses. And if we don't have someone covering it, we will find ourselves in trouble. Look at um, the next verse, Luke chapter 10, verse 2 to 3. This speaks about, uh, just after the previous verse, two by two that were sent out. And it says, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so encouraged now. (laughs) It's like the Lord comes to you and he comes and reveals to you how powerful you are. You are a lamb. Uh, I'm not feeling powerful. I'm I'm not feeling very awesome. Let's say it. I'm a lamb. Every one of us, every one of us have an Achilles heel. Every one of us have areas of weakness. When we are under the power of the Holy Spirit, all things become possible. But when the Spirit lifts, you're just you. And then you need another person. You need a help. help. You need a gang of godliness. You need someone that's going to cover your weakness. That's why I'm so thankful for my wife. And I'm thankful that she's godly because uh, she covers me. I often say this, but when my wife is near, sin is far. Hallelujah. All the men in the house say amen. Yes, it is good. It's like the devil will try until my wife walks into the house. He's like, uh-uh, I'm going now. <sighs> she's back. And I need her to cover my weaknesses. Every one of us need Not just someone. I don't only need my wife. I need friends who will cover my weaknesses. Or the enemy will take us out. So on our own, we're just like uh, lambs. But when you put us together, I believe we become lions. When our weaknesses are covered, we become like Achilles. But the Achilles, the heel is covered. Our weakness is covered. This is so important. This is so critical. This is so life-defining. Because there are many of us who have isolated ourselves. We walk alone, and even those that we might be walking with are not the right people that can help us when things go south. So I want to share with you a, a story about a, a pastor called Perry Noble. Not very well known in South Africa, but he's, he was the pastor of the third largest church in America, church of 33,000 people, and a multi-site church, incredible communicator. <laughs> I mean, incredible communicator. And then he fell into uh, alcohol addiction, and uh, he was fired middle last year, and 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 the wheels came off. So I was listening to him sharing afterwards, like eight nine months later, and he shares about going to the um, place where they help you when you're better with uh, what's the place's name? Rehab. Thank you. So I haven't been there. So just doesn't, doesn't come there so so easily. (laughs) So he went to rehab and he, and he just shares his story, you know, um, of how, how, how it was his lowest low and how he would, there was this little path around the, the complex that he would walk every evening as the sun would, would uh, go down. And, and he would share that, I mean, he's lost everything. He's lost everything. And, uh, and, and he was just at his lowest point, and he said that one night I think it was the last night, one of the nights he was walking there again, he felt God whisper to his heart, "I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you." And when he was sharing this, he was just weeping as he shared this um, in a message. but it just so touched me, because I have such compassion on someone who was going for it full. The whole deal, the whole nine yards, the whole thing, giving everything for God, but somehow losing their way and going through that hell. But I want to say to every one of us here this morning as well, God is not done with you. Doesn't matter what you've been through. God is not done with you. As long as you have breath in your lungs, there is hope this side of eternity. Amen. God is not done with you. All you need is to position yourself in the right place and connect yourself with the right people. So Perry Stone wrote a letter and, uh, and, and he shared, Perry Noble writes a letter where he shares his biggest mistakes that he's made. So I want to highlight those a few mistakes and also a few ways that we can connect with uh, or increase our connections. The thing is this should never have happened to this guy. He's just a high-level, well-known type of guy, but there are thousands upon thousands of other believers who are finding themselves in a similar situation. We just don't know about them because they're not the leader of a church of 30,000 people. But it's relevant to everybody. Relevant to everybody. So, you know, I, I had this impression that when we talk about connection, that connection is like building a bridge. Connection is like building a bridge. I want to connect with my wife, so now I'm investing my time and my energy, and I'm building a bridge to her. This bridge is built on trust, but I'm investing so that when I am maybe in trouble, she's in trouble, there's a connection. We can, we can communicate. We can talk. When the chips are down, we have a, we have a sufficient bridge to, to connect. So we need to build bridges to one another, bridges of trust. And I'm going to give us a few keys. But the biggest thing is we need to trust. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. So because of my trust in God, I'm going to choose to put my trust in people. And so I'm going to build a bridge. But my trust in God is my anchor. My trust in God is what strengthens me. My trust in God is what enables me to... Okay, I'm going to tell you some stuff now. I'm really battling with this. Gonna trust you. Gonna trust you. I'm gonna build this bridge to you. It's a, 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 to build a bridge is to make yourself vulnerable in certain areas of your life. Okay, so four mistakes I made. The first one that Perry Noble wrote, wrote it says, I chose isolation over community. He says, I was a hypocrite. I preached, you can't do life alone, and then went out and lived the opposite. Yes, the scripture do say we should seek solitude from time to time. However, solitude is refreshing. Isolation is destructive. Let's say it, destructive. And he says, isolation is where self-pity dominated my thinking, thus justifying my abuse of alcohol. Isolation is where self-doubt dominated my emotions causing me to believe I just could not carry the weight anymore and alcohol was necessary for me to make it through another day. Isolation is where self-hatred dominated my mentality. I hated myself, literally hated myself for doing what I was doing, but believed the lie that this was just the way things were and there was no way it, would, it could ever get better. Isn't that amazing? I mean, the preacher man, the powerful preacher man, Hated himself because he went down a path of isolation. He says, I chose isolation all the while knowing that a strong community of people who really loved me would rally around me and walk with me through the valley I was in. Then he says, Hebrews 10, 24, 25 were memory verses I knew, but not life verses I applied. And the results were devastating. What does Hebrews 10 say? Let me read it to you. It says, so he said, this was memory verses, but not life verses. I'm sharing this message because I want to encourage you to build bridges to a gang of godliness so that you can overcome and impact this world. So it says, Hebrews 10, 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to, to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So it's saying, don't walk alone. Not just meet together. There's a certain type of meeting, heart-to-heart connection. And also it says that when you're in a gang of godliness, you encourage, you motivate, you strengthen one another to move forward. I'm always looking for people that would challenge me. Always looking. Who's, who's beyond me in a certain area? And there are many areas that I can be challenged in. You know, but the, the guy that came to preach here a few weeks ago, Hink Kleinschmidt, he, he preached in the evening services. He challenges me. I'm like, dude, we need to connect. I need this. I need someone that fasts more, prays more, does crazy stuff. Like, okay, come on, I need to, there's more. We all need it. Do you have it? Do you have it? Do you have a gang that is challenging you, saying, come on, get up, get up? You know, and, and the gang needs to be like a specific type. I, I'm saying godliness. It's like with me and Sonica. You know, so I come to her, and I, I tell her about the stuff that's happened, and someone's been really ugly with me like 20 years ago, and... Uh, and now this is a test moment. Is she not part of the gang of godliness or is she part of the gang that helps me go to hell? <sighs> My heart. Will she psych me up to ah oh, stuff them, eh? Can't believe they did that to you. Do you know how many guys I speak to whose wives do not encourage them in the right direction? Ladies, you are so powerful. You are so powerful. When your husband is in that moment, you you can give him wise words. You can direct him in the right direction. So powerful. If my wife didn't strengthen me over the last 10 years in the way she did, I would have been bitter because every time she would help me, no, 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 yeah, it's wrong what they did, but forgive. No, but see the other side. I don't want to see the other side. I don't want to see the the, the good intentions behind what the person did. I'm angry. You know, sometimes we're at that moment, and then you need the right, you need a gang of godliness. You need someone that's going to speak the right words. So Perry Noble says, self took over because of isolation. Isolation distorts our perspective. Isolation makes us more selfish. Isolation causes us to see things in a darker way. When we are together, we are strengthened and built up. So a key to connect. You need to uncover to be truly covered. You need to uncover to be truly covered. I see it as this, this. Every one of us, your, 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 your being can be represented by a house. There are a whole bunch of rooms in the house. For every one of us, there's a back door where the enemy's trying to get in. And as he comes in the back door, that room becomes dark. There's darkness in that room. There's darkness brooding in that place. Thoughts, emotions, negativity, whatever it might be. Maybe you haven't acted out on anything, but there are these thoughts. And, they, and, and they're in that dark room, that back room. And they the disease is building up. The disease of sin is strengthening. The disease of unbelief and hopelessness its there at that back room. It's not overwhelming yet, but it's there at the back. It's, 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 it's biting you just a little bit. And now we need to uncover ourselves to be truly covered. So now you open your life to the people around you, and you take them like for a walk through your house. You're walking through the house, and you're seeing the back room, and you're just... In front of the room there's like shame, guilt, condemnation, and you're like, Oh, not not over there. Let's walk, let's walk down this road. My wife cleaned over here. (laughs) We haven't sorted out that room yet. And so because of the shame and the guilt, we don't go there, we don't uncover to be covered. Because you're thinking, heck, I'm a Christian. For the pastors, flip, I'm a pastor. I can't. What are they gonna think? I can't share this stuff, like with Perry Noble. I can't tell someone I'm battling with alcohol. I'm the pastor of a church of 30,000 people. They will reject me. This is not going to work. But if you want to be covered, you need to uncover yourself. If you want to be covered, you need to open that back door and say, hey, it stinks in there. Come, help me clean it out. It's the only way, because if you don't, the virus is going to spread. Who's experienced that? I have. The virus spreads. You must kill it when it's just at thought and emotional level. So you're having an emotional affair. You are now connected to, to not someone who's not your own husband. you you emotionally attached. How can you tell someone, just do it? Just do it so that you can break out of it. Uncovered to be truly covered. You see, the thing is, the enemy, we are in a war zone currently. There's a war for our thoughts, for our hearts, for our emotions. And the enemy is shooting arrows continuously. Oh, you know, in your back. Oh, I've got, a, I've got an arrow in my back. I'm like, uh, I can't get to it. I, you know? So the enemy comes and he shoots these thoughts these moments that he, he 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 assaults us with a with an arrow and it hits us in the back and you can't take it out. You need someone to help you. You need someone to help you. I mean, I see with, even with pastors and leaders. You know, every now and again, I would be on the phone with a you know one of the guys and and we would pray. I would take yeah. We'd bring stuff into the light and there's an assault of the devil on their hearts and minds and we're gonna. We must deal with it before it becomes worse. So these arrows are coming. and If you don't deal with the arrow, then the next one is going to come, and the next one's is going to come until you're just overwhelmed, and then you, like with Perry Noble, you just give up. Are you dealing with your arrows? Do you have a gang of godliness that can help you? See, everybody can't help you. Everybody can't help you. It's like if I go to someone that's going to increase my bitterness, it's not going to help me. They're not going to remove the arrow. They're going to push it in deeper. You need the right type of people around you. My question to you is are you the right type of person? Are you the right type of are you that part of that gang of godliness that strengthens and encourages? Proverbs 18, verse 1. It says, the man who isolates himself rages against all wise judgment. Rages. It's like, are you nuts? Are you insane? What the heck are you thinking? And sometimes you want to ask someone that after after they're really stuffed up. What the hell? (laughs) But you need to stop before it's adultery or whatever. You need to stop it over here and say, I am battling. I am having lustful thoughts about someone that's not my spouse. Then you need to deal with it or it will kill you. You see, alone I might survive, but I won't thrive. You might survive. I actually think you won't survive, but, but you won't thrive. You won't thrive. You can't. It's the, the kingdom of God is, de- is designed like this. Together we win. Alone we lose. It's a fact of life. It has been designed, we lambs being led to a slaughter if we are alone. But if we're together, we can overcome. Never alone. Never alone. If you get one thing today, never alone. Let's say it, never alone. So you need to have a gang of godliness, people that will stir you and strengthen you to move forward. Proverbs 28 verse 13, He who covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. We need to bring our weaknesses and our sins to people that we trust so that the blood of Jesus can wash us clean. This is the commitment I have made. I have boundaries in my life. The moment I start pushing to those boundaries, I speak. I speak. I speak to some of the elders. I speak to my pastor friends. I speak because I'm not going to be another stat in Jesus' name. And neither are you. Another stat of a, a Christian life fallen apart. Another, another destruction. No. So then Perry Noble goes on and he says, I chose alcohol over my family. He says, this one hurt so bad. Lucretia and I, his wife, like so many couples, have faced challenges in our marriage for many years. After a season of walking through these challenges, I became Discouraged. Discouraged. And instead of asking for help, began to over-medicate on alcohol. At first, it was once or twice a week. However, over time, it literally became something I had to have every evening. I was sick, deceived by sin, alcohol, and myself. I justified this by saying I needed it to take the edge off to help me relaxed to help me deal with the pressures at home. Honestly, I knew the entire time I was using it as an excuse to zone out at home, thus causing me to neglect my role as a husband and a father. As I look back on making this foolish exchange, waves of self-condemnation crash into my soul. I know I've been forgiven for the sin, but I must now deal with the consequences. It's incredible. His honesty You see, for some of us, it's alcohol. For for some of us, it's other things that we run to. Instead of facing our challenges, you see, he said he he became discouraged, discouraged. And because of him becoming discouraged, he gave up on his marriage. He gave up on his family life, and he began to go to other things. So again, um, we, you know, drinking a beer is not a sin. No in the Bible does it say that but some of us shouldn't be drinking because you know the effect it has on you. You know what it does to you. It takes the edge off and also your self-control goes out the door. I know what the the, the times I drink one beer or one, I'm a small guy, so one glass of wine, I'm really feeling, yee. (laughs) That's (laughs) liquor now, he's on. So, so you need, to, you need to define, and you need to determine, and you need to have your boundaries. I don't want to make rules or laws, but you need to make sure it's not costing you something significantly. It is not worth it, and, and, and Perry Noble says it, it's not worth losing his life on alcohol. Don't medicate your pain, because that's what we do. We experience pain, we dis- experience discouragement, we experience disappointment, and then we begin to medicate. On whatever, whether pornography, alcohol, games—I mean, he's going to st- work. You name it, whatever it might be, we run away from facing the issues. We have that back room of darkness, and it's bugging us. And we have maybe a marriage that's battling; it's not what it should be. So I'm like, okay, so we run. Running away never solves it. Let me say it again. Running away never solves it. It just postpones it and makes it worse. You need to build a bridge to the important people in your life. You need to invest time and effort and humility and love to build a bridge to those who really matter. Your gang of godliness, your spouse, build the bridge. But if you're investing in other things the whole time, you're building bridges to other places. Do you know what that means? You only have a certain amount of bricks. This is now in Andre 4, verse 5, chapter 4, verse 5. You only have a number of bricks. Only have a limited amount of time and energy and emotion and effort, etc. And you need to invest in the right things. But now if you are building bridges other places, when the chips are down, there's no bridge for you. There's no trust for you with your spouse or key friends. I can't tell them what I'm going through. There's not enough trust here. I want to tell you, even if there's not enough trust, jump, do it, do it, do it. I want to decrease my counseling. (laughs) This is my behind the scenes motivation now. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But I, I, I want to see you flourish. I want to see you overcome. I want to see you succeed. How many people I've spoken to? Because of alcohol, have done stuff that they regret for the rest of their lives. Adultery, prostitutes, etc., sleeping with girlfriend, and more. You need to decide what life are you gonna live. You need to decide. You need to make the, the hard decisions. Because I I want to see the kingdom of God come. And I believe the Lord wants to raise up a mighty army in this place, but then you have to make the hard decisions. It is worth it. It is not worth it to stuff your life away at the end. You say, if only I didn't. So a key to connect, stay encouraged. Stay encouraged. Don't lose your encouragement. Encourage one another. Do you have people around you that can keep on encouraging you? Don't look for people that are going to tell you what you want to hear. Don't look for people that are going to tell you what you want to hear. You upset, you're looking for someone to say, oh, your husband's an idiot. Stay away from those people that agree with you. <laughs> Go to the person that will tell you, no, you need to forgive. No, you need to humble yourself. You need to honor your husband. And now there's a lot of good things, he's a godly man. You must just look a little bit deeper. <laughs> look with the eyes of Christ. And the Lord's going to do it. So you need to surround yourself. A few times with Sonica, she's told me stuff. I'm like, oh, I don't like you now. (laughs) But I've told her, I've told her, you know, in the past this has happened. I would just like justify myself. Men, we are masters at justifying ourselves. Any woman that agree? Who agrees that your your husband is a master? A master justifying himself. Yes. So what happened with us in the past is I would... um, created it. My my wife saw something. She saw something. Like she needs to like deal with this. Now she speaks to me after like maybe quite a bit of prayer. (laughs) So now she's speaking to me and I am like, no, I'm justifying. No, it's nonsense. Women are weird, you know, and uh, not saying it, but implying it. And, And in the process, I would communicate to her, her opinion doesn't matter. And then she would shut down. She would just say, okay, well, <laughs> then have fun. <laughs> it's gonna blow up at some stage. I can see that in her eyes. She doesn't say it because she's godly, but she, she heard the eyes are saying it. And I have learned it over time. I need to create an environment where my wife can tell me when she's uncomfortable about something because I need her input. Same way, the way we, with our elders and the leaders in the church, I create an environment people can speak to me because I'm not seeing everything. Heck. I'm seeing a small percentage of everything. So what environment are you creating? Husbands? Wives? Are we allowing our spouses to speak into our lives? Or are we shutting them down, stepping on them? Then do it. it, It's going to cost you in the end. You see, alone I might survive, but I certainly won't thrive. So you need to build bridges. I need to create an environment for my wife to speak. I need to create an environment with the people around me that they can speak to me. Even now with the, with, the, with the national leadership, being on national leadership now, now I have to open the door for other guys to, to speak to me and say, hey, I didn't like it what you did there and what you said there. And I'm, I'm yeah, sorry. So I would do it in front of our national council. I would tell the other guys, I just want to honor so-and-so for speaking to me about that thing. I made a joke about something. didn't go off very well. I hurt someone. I'm, I'm sorry. Thanks for speaking. Creating an environment where everybody can come to the table. Are you seeing it? This is critical. This is critical. Create an environment. So he said that I chose alcohol over. So the, the key to connect on the next one is stay encouraged, almost finished. For the third thing he said, I chose control over relationships. Isn't this interesting? He said, I was successful at work. I wasn't successful at home. So I chose to put more and more time into a place where I felt like I was in control rather than addressing the out-of-control area of my life. When my family and I would go on holiday, I would control my schedule and not actually enjoy the holiday with them because I had to make sure I got up early, got in a workout, had a quiet time, and answered emails. Doing so allowed me to feel in control of the day. And now looking back, I realize how out-of-control I really was. Because of this type of behavior, I missed spending time with my girls, choosing instead to answer emails, none of which I can recall. What I pretended, listen to this, what I pretended was important was only an illusion. If you and I put ministry or career or work above our families, you are deceived, and it's an illusion, and it's going to cost you. Don't do it. Don't do it. This guy lost almost everything. He said, for those who struggle with control, it's my prayer we will understand as I am understanding that control is the biggest illusion in the universe. We do not control when we were born who our parents are. Where we were born, the weather, the stock market, the maniac drivers out on the road, all the day we step into eternity, we don't have control. We don't have control, but we can trust in God. God, I trust you. In my case, I trust you with this church. I trust you with the lives of people, and some of them are messing up their lives, but I'm trusting you. I can't take it. I can't. I am not God but I'm going to be there for my wife. I'm going to be there for my family. I'm going to focus on the main things. But God, I trust you. You can't make your business or your career, whatever it is, work. You need the grace of God to make it work. You need to hand it over to Him. You need to trust in Him to make it truly work. Let's reprioritize. And then the last one. He said there, I chose silence over crying out for help. I chose silence over crying out for help. He says, I was hurting, deeply hurting. In doing so, I allowed sinful thoughts to exponentially multiply in my mind. This is a pastor, people. How much do normal people like us? This is a powerful man. He said, I allowed sinful thoughts to exponentially multiply in my mind thus impacting my mind in ways that were both destructive and harmful. I believed the deceptive lies the enemy would whisper to me, such as, no one will understand, or you are only, you're the only one who has this issue, or if you tell people what's really going on, they will abandon you. If you are in a bad place, I mean you are living through hell on earth, my prayer for you is that you would make the immediate decision to tell someone ASAP. He says because he remained quiet, he was sped by like light speed into destruction. You need to speak. We need to say. We need to tell someone. So that's on the negative side. But more than you need to right now begin to build up a gang of godliness. A bunch of people, your spouse, if you're married, and others, that you strengthen one another, that you build one another up, you believe in one another, you stir one another to good works. Do you have people like that around you? Someone that you look at their marriage and you think, man, the way that guy is treating his wife is amazing. Normally we're like, heck, the way he's treating his wife is horrible. But what if we have people around us that would inspire us to, wow, that is incredible. Wow, that woman, when her husband answered her like that, she chose to be so calm. She didn't bite back. She just honored him despite his ungodly behavior. Wow, that's an inspiration. That's godliness happening. That's inspiring me. Wow, the way that person is loving people and serving them and and generously giving of themselves to others, that is inspiring me. Do you have such people around you? Wow, the way she prays? Man, I need to do that. Do you have people like that around you? If you haven't, become one. And then seek them. Pursue them. It is the only way. You see, alone, you might survive. But you won't flourish. You won't flourish. So I want to paint this picture for us as as i'm ending what if every one of us would be part of a group of friends that are pursuing god and encouraging and strengthening and covering one another what if every one of us would be part of something like that what if the whole church would be Like that. What if all our weaknesses would be covered by one another? What if every one of us would open the back room and say, "Hey, come and look. Yo, I know it stinks, but come on, let's help me. I want to sort it out. I want to. I want to be free. I don't want this disease to spread any further." No one can make you do this. You need to choose to do this before the Lord. I believe God can take us next level if we embrace this. So how do we break out of isolation? How do we, where do we start? Well, maybe start with joining a small group. Great place to make some friends. Another option would be to get involved somewhere here in church. Do something, get involved in a ministry and connect with others. Another option would be to, in the people that you know, when you see something that you like, why don't you pursue that friendship? Don't go go to them and say, hey, I am now your best new friend. They're going to run. (laughs) Maybe just have a bride together, go for a coffee together, reach out, do something together. But connect. Isolation will kill you in the midst of a crowd. You can be isolated. So begin building those bridges. Begin investing in the right relationships and break the ungodly connections or just worldly connections. What's keeping you busy? What's keeping you distracted? Where are you investing? Hobbies, work, sport, movies, series, games. What are you connecting with? Sometimes we connect more with a screen than we connect with a person. I think this is the sickness of our era, the disease of our era, connecting with a screen instead of connecting with a person that's right there next to you. Amen. Amen.